So tonight's consideration is the glory of God and freedom from anything less than that. And so we just sang what is known as the doxology. And I don't know if you've been in church uh, for a while, you may have heard that sung, um, but millions and millions of Christians sing that every week around the world, and of course through history, it has been something that has been uh, very common since the 16th century. And uh, it goes like this, I'll just say it again, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him above ye heavenly host, that's the angels. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And this is translated into countless languages and, and like I said, sung all over the world. And um, It was originally penned by an Anglican bishop named Thomas Ken uh, in, a, in about 1709 is when uh, we get the form that we have it now, but he was sort of uh, using it throughout his uh, ministry. And I just want to share some interesting history about this guy. Most people don't know. You probably never heard the name Thomas Ken. He was orphaned as a child. Both of his parents uh, died when he was a young boy, and he ended up being raised by his older sister and her husband. Then, of course, he studied and became an Anglican clergyman. Anglican just means uh, it's a word for those in the Church of England. And uh, eventually worked his way up and, and actually became chaplain to Princess Mary until he caught the royal court and the princess herself sort of living immorally. And so he called them out and was therefore removed from his post as chaplain because nobody likes to be called out, particularly when you're royal. And so he was removed. But he continued to be faithful to his calling, and he, again, became a chaplain in the royal court, this time to King Charles II. And again, he was faced with a dilemma. He ended up uh, refusing to allow King Charles' mistress to, uh, <laughs> to live in the house in which he was uh, living in, basically calling a spade a spade and saying, no, I know the king has mistresses, but he's not going to live under the same, she's not going to live under the same roof as me. Now, instead of being dismissed, he was actually celebrated and rewarded for his courage. Um, later in his ministry, uh, he was working at Westchester College, and he published a manual of prayers that he wanted all of his students, all the scholars at his university, um, to read and to sing in the morning and evening. He said this, Be sure to sing the morning and evening hymn in your chamber devoutly. And this is actually where we get this famous, famous doxology, which was actually the very last stanza of one of the longer hymns in the morning. Uh, a hymn that was 14 stanzas long, and he wanted each of his students to sing this every morning when they got up, when they were just by themselves. And so I'll just read you the first, the ninth, and then the final stanza, which is the doxology. It says this, Awake my soul, and with the sun 
thy daily stage of duty run. Shake off dull sloth and joyful rise to pay the morning sacrifice. All praise to thee who safe hast kept and hast refreshed me whilst I sleep. Grant, Lord, when I come, when I from death shall wake, I may of endless light partake. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So here is a man who clearly understood that to God be the glory. And whether he was in service of a king or a princess, or whether he was serving the intellectuals of academia, he refused to give glory to any other man or woman or even himself because he fought to give all the glory to God. And so I just love, and it's part of why we decided to sing the doxology, is it's a picture of doxa means glory, (laughs) to bring God the glory. Because glory is what he deserves. Um, If you've ever heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Catechism was something, uh, we don't, you don't have to do this here, but what you would go through, usually when you were a child, you'd have to learn the catechism and then be able to recite it, and it has all these fundamental doctrines to the Christian faith. And the very first question of the catechism would be this. The question is, what is the chief end of man? That's the question, and then if you were doing your catechism, you'd have to answer, and the answer to the first question in the entire catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So it's a common understanding that the chief purpose of our lives as human beings is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. C.S. Lewis said this of the catechism. He says the Scotch catechism, that's the Westminster Catechism, says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do, we can glorify God. Or, we cannot glorify God. But if we take the Bible and we listen to what it says, we realize that we as human beings were created primarily to glorify God. It's for God's glory that we were created. I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. So, you might be saying to yourself, well, doesn't this mean then that God's chief end, because He's the one that created us, is to glorify Himself? The answer is yes. God's chief end is to glorify himself. Do you know what uh, narcissism is? This is a 
dictionary definition, extreme selfishness with a grandiose view of one's own talents and a craving for admiration. So if God's chief end is to glorify himself, does that mean God's a narcissist? Some people think he is. I say no. And the reason I say no is because God is actually the only being that is worthy of glory. He is the only proper recipient of it. And no, God is not a narcissist because by definition, God cannot have a grandiose view of himself. Grandiose meaning an excessively grand view because there's no such thing as an excessively grand view of God. He is infinitely grand in every respect and therefore it's impossible to attribute anything to God that God is not deserving of. Does that make sense? We cannot sort of falsely attribute anything to God because he is the infinite manifestation of everything that we could possibly think to attribute to him. So we cannot excessively attribute anything to God, and he cannot, therefore, excessively attribute anything to himself. Therefore, he cannot be a narcissist. God is wanting... Uh, narcissism is wanting something attributed to yourself that is undeserved. Uh, let me give you an example. It's like narcissism would be me wanting you to recognize and affirm my incredible football ability. That's narcissism. Why? Because I do not have incredible football ability. Now, Russell Wilson Allowing his football ability to be recognized as great is not narcissism because he is actually a great football player. See how this works? Now, should we attribute something to Russell Wilson that is not true in and of itself, then, or if he is wanting us to attribute something to him, then that could be narcissism. But we can't do that with God. We can't He's not wanting us to attribute anything to him that is not there. Furthermore, God's desire for glory, i.e. to be recognized, to be known and understood, to be praised and worshipped, to be listened to and obeyed, these are not selfish desires because they are not only for Him. Therefore, are good. It's a win-win. So, this is so important to understand if you've ever wrestled with this idea of why does God want all the glory? He wants all the glory because the best thing for me is when God gets the glory he deserves. The best thing for you is when God gets the glory he deserves. The best thing for every Christian in the world is when God gets the glory he deserves. And here's the kicker. The best thing for everyone who is not yet a Christian is when God gets the glory he deserves. It's not selfishness, not narcissism. It's actually God's grace. If he hated us, he would keep 
He would withhold this information that He is due all the glory. He would keep it from us and allow us to go our own way and to give ourselves the glory. So Him telling us, give me the glory, is actually His grace in our life. This is really challenging but important truth about God. So, when is it important for us to know this? And why is it important for us to know this? Tonight's about freedom, not guilt, okay? I don't want you to just be like, wow, I have not given God all the glory. That's not the point of tonight. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. What I want is freedom. I want you to experience true freedom. And why does understanding that God is due all the glory, why does this lead to freedom? Because when we glorify the wrong thing, especially when we glorify ourselves, it will destroy us. It will literally destroy us. Human beings were never made to be glorified. We were instead made to reflect the glory of another. That's God. We were made to reflect His glory. So when we attempt to absorb glory, to bring glory on ourselves and absorb it, the glory that was meant for God, it does not bring us life. That's a lie. It does not bring us life, but it brings us death. It literally destroys us. So, Jesus said this, those who shall lose their life for my sake will save it. What is he talking about? He's saying, when you stop trying to absorb the glory for yourself and you reflect it onto me, you'll save your life. Apostle Paul said the same thing. He says you must die in order that you, must, that you might live. And those can be very confusing if you don't understand this concept of freedom from self-glory giving the glory to God. Let me talk now about microwaves. I hope we had some good discussion about microwaves, okay? There's all sorts of things you can put into a microwave. You put the right kind of things, and you can put the wrong kind of things. I mean, if you put a baked potato in the microwave, it's incredible how fast you can cook a baked potato compared to the oven. But you can also put the wrong things in a microwave. Like if you've ever put a piece of foil in the microwave, you know Foil was not meant to absorb microwaves. Don't go home and try it. You'll literally destroy the foil and you'll destroy the microwave. Because not everything is meant to absorb the microwave. Just like not everything was meant to absorb glory. We're the foil, friends. <laughs> you're a piece of foil, but foil is getting quite expensive, so <laughs> you're valuable, you know. <laughs> we love you. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Nolan. <laughs> like that one. So when we try to absorb glory that was meant for God, it destroys us. Um, 
when you survey the, the history of the world, you realize this is true. The people who heaped on themselves glory eventually became very destructive themselves and if you read their biographies, they were being destroyed too. In our world today, same thing. You realize that many have succeeded in glorifying themselves, but they're not the happiest people in our society. They're not the most fulfilled because it's literally destroying them. Jim Carrey, the actor, comedian, said this, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and have everything that they dreamed of so that they will know that it's not the answer. The world we live in entraps us because it lies to us and it tells us to serve ourselves, to glorify ourselves, to give ourselves all the glory. It's, it's, it's how our society is structured, right? We're told to get ahead in the world. We have to, in a sense, make ourselves more than we are. We're not lying. We're just sort of advertising ourselves, right? We're just making ourselves a little bit more than we actually are. If you've ever written a resume, you realize that. I flipped burgers. I was a culinary expert working in logistics and customer best practices. Something like that. I just made that up. You know, and if we're able to sort of glorify ourselves, make ourselves more than we actually are, then people will listen to us. People will hire us. People will promote us. People will praise us. That's the way of our world. And so in a sense, we all have to be sort of self-glorification experts. I feel this as a pastor, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to convince people that I'm something more than I am. I'm just a normal guy doing my best to know and to love God and to help others do the same. But it's exhausting because I feel like people want me to be something more than I am. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you have to be something more than you are? But what if that wasn't the requirement? What if being something more than you are wasn't the requirement for success? What if you were freed from that lie, the lie of self-glory? Feel the rest, the Sabbath, the deep breath you can finally take to know that you weren't meant to house glory. You weren't meant to absorb it and to project it. That success in life was not measured by how much praise you could receive unto yourself. Success was not how much money you could attach to your name. Success was not how long-lasting and influential your legacy became. This means that whether rich or poor, famous or forgotten, influential or unimportant, you can be a success in God's eyes because you bought, brought glory to Him. Is that freeing? I hope, I hope you feel the freedom in that. So it means that it doesn't require 
getting a big break or that lucky bounce or the perfect timing. It simply requires faithfulness, obedience, humility. Anybody can do that. That's good news, right? And so how do you experience this freedom from self-glory and actually glorify God? Well, you offer God the glory and it starts by acknowledging His presence in the world, in creation, in your life. And then as we become aware of Him and we come into the splendor and beauty of His holy presence, we begin to glorify Him by agreement. We agree with Him and everything that He says when we read His Word and we say, yes, amen, let it be, truly, truly, this I agree with. And we obey Him, and through obedience we bring Him glory because we trust Him and His ways, trusting that He wants our good. And then we retell His story, bringing Him glory by talking of all that He's done throughout history, starting with creation through Israel to the cross and the resurrection and the building of the church and what He continues to do through His people. And then we rehearse His attributes and we praise them both privately and publicly. We rehearse them. We tell God who He is. We speak of His holiness and His righteousness and His power and His love and His mercy and His grace and His kindness. And we rehearse all that He is. We bring Him glory. And we can do this in anything. Not just on Sundays. Not just in our fellowship groups. Not just in our reading of Scripture. We can do this in everything. When we eat great food, we can glorify God. When we drink good drink, we can glorify God. When we rest in the comfort of shelter, we can glorify God. When we have the warmth of the sun hit our face, we can glorify God. When we experience the companionship of a friend, we can glorify God. When we wake from a restful night's sleep, even, we can glorify God. When we receive a paycheck from work, we can glorify God. And everything, God can and should be glorified, not ourselves. We're free from that. We're not meant to house it. God is meant to get all the glory. And so, this is our task, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have a time of discussion and reflection. And what I'd like is, maybe for at least, the, we're going to play like three songs, at least for like three quarters of the first song, I'd like you just to reflect personally. And in your bulletin, you'll see there's a couple of questions kind of surrounding this topic of who do I glorify most in my life? And so we have to do some sort of wrestling internally and ask those tough questions. Who am I glorifying with my life? And so then after, you know, a couple minutes, I'd like for you to kind of close in your circles and discuss amongst yourselves these questions. And it's not meant to sort of heap guilt upon guilt and shame upon shame. It's meant to sort of free you 
and saying, why do I do that? Why do I seek glorification for myself? And how nice it would be to not have to be that. So that's what we're going to do. So Topher's going to cue up some music, and we're going to just spend about 15 minutes just reflecting together. Okay. Yeah, we 